Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. Back from Summerfest. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I have one of the most amazing videos I've seen in a long time. And, and it's, it's an example of a crime that is bad, as I describe it, on so many levels. This happened a week ago today. This, what they're describing as a flash mob, a, a bunch of like 10, 10 guys race into this North Face store. You know, North Face is kind of the high-end outer clothing area. Um, it's at a premium outlet mall in Pleasant Prairie. And in the space of 15 seconds, you can see these guys, they just bum-rush the store and steal. Everybody runs out with stuff. I think they estimate that these guys in 15 seconds got $30,000 or more worth of stuff. It's a flash mob and and then what they do is they, they post the stuff on the Internet. They're proud of it, and they sell it off at pennies on the dollar. And if you want to see this video, it's just, it's just kind of mind-boggling when you look at this and you think, man, th- this is what retailers have to put up with. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different levels to this crime, but m- my first take is that if people wouldn't buy obviously stolen merchandise over the Internet at cut-rate prices – maybe there would be less incentives for criminal groups like this to brazenly steal from retailers. But it, it is, it's one of the most amazing videos that I've seen in a long time, and it just it kind of makes you shake your head and, and wonder about the human condition. But you can check it out if you follow me, um, Jeff Wagner, at, at it's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right, a lot of ground to cover on this program. Let's get started. Does Summerfest need to rethink how it operates. Now, I, I've been giving this this matter actually a lot of thought, and I, I am a huge, huge fan of Summerfest. I was down there where we broadcast live the first three days, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of the first week, and I, I stayed down there for several hours. My wife came down. We, we walked around. We met friends on, on that Thursday afternoon. They were, um, okay, didn't go down the first weekend, that Friday and Saturday. Tuesday, Worked from Summerfest and then went down, saw the Lionel Richie show Tuesday night, broadcast there on Wednesday, and then went back on Saturday night to see the show. Interesting, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. Saturday night, that was the Billie Eilish concert, who's like the, the, the really hot performer. True story, we, we weren't going to the show, although I know a number of people who, whose kids went to the show. About 6 o'clock, we are camped out at a beer tent at the Harley-Davidson stage, which is in the middle of the grounds. There was a line that started at the amphitheater and ran all the way back past the Harley-Davidson stage of primarily 15- to 17-year-old girls waiting for them to open up the gates to get into the amphitheater. I've never seen a line like that my life but it shows how popular that show was it was sold out and by all intents and purposes it it was a a great show my sense and we'll know the numbers when they release them you know in a week or two my sense is 
you know, last year was kind of an all-time low, and they, they had weather-related problems. My sense is this year the numbers are going to be more like last year's numbers than, I don't know, some of, of their record attendance years. And, and there's again, there's a lot of things that are going on. First of all, while Summerfest didn't really have any washouts, they, they had a couple big rainstorms that moved through on multiple days at absolutely the worst time. You know, they had like Thursday, the first Thursday, and at least one other day, they had big rainstorms that hit 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock. Now, they were out of the area by 6 or 6.30, but I have no I, I have no doubt that that depressed attendance because you have people that have come home from work and maybe their plans are to go to Summerfest, and next thing you know, it, it's raining like Noah needs to get ready to build a boat. So I, I'm sure that kind of depressed the, the attendance. Um, I went to the Lionel Richie show. It was not sold out. I mean, there was a good crowd. My guess is about three-quarters full. Didn't go to the Jennifer Lopez show, although I've heard nothing but great things about it. That was on July 3rd. Of course, there's a lot of other stuff going on on July 3rd. I was told that show was about three-quarters full. So, you know, some of these performers, they didn't necessarily pack the amphitheater, and and that can make a big deal, big difference. Billie Eilish on Saturday night, that, that was sold out. That was standing room only. So I, I think to an extent, when you, if you're going to obsess about Summerfest attendance, there, I, I think maybe there needs to be a new normal that's out there. There's a lot of competition going on for entertainment dollars. There's shows that are going on at the Fiserv Forum. There's all the other stuff. Alpine Valley is back, and you know they were competing with Summerfest events, and and, and that competition. While it's good, I guess, for the concert goer, that that has to I mean, that has to impact them a little. So here here is my question for Summerfest moving forward. It is a wonderful, wonderful event, and we want to see it succeed. Uh, Ten years ago, they made the decision to go dark on Mondays. And and what they found was Monday was the, the least attended day just because that's that's how typically Mondays are. People are getting ready, getting over the weekend. And what they did is they opened the, the they opened Wednesday. They traded an earlier opening on a Wednesday for a Monday, and I think everybody would tell you that it has worked out extremely well for them. Still, the midweek dates are, are by far and away the, 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 the slowest. I mean, I was there for Lionel Richie, which was the, the Tuesday of Summerfest, and the grounds – didn't strike me as being particularly crowded. The Lionel Richie show started late, so you know he didn't get out till like eleven forty-five. But for people who have to be at work the next day, all right, it, it's it's tougher to be out really late on a Tuesday than it is later on. Here's what I want to discuss with you. Our number is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. And I'm curious. Summerfest fans, look, if you hate Summerfest, if you haven't been in years and years, okay, you're, you're not necessarily the, the target audience. But for people like me who are fans of Summerfest, do they need to rethink the model? Instead of an 11-day festival that runs from, say, a Wednesday through the next Sunday with Monday off, would they be better off spacing it out over, say, three weekends, you know, Thursday through Sunday? then taking off and then coming back Thursday through Sunday and then maybe Thursday through Saturday or Thursday through Sunday, you know, 11 or 12 days. But instead of having it the week, have it over weekends. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. 
it, I admit, it, it changes the character to an extent of the festival, the idea that it's going to be something every day. It might make booking bands more difficult because you're going to have more competition. My guess is, for some acts, it's easier to get them in on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. But from the perspective of, of generating fans and bringing them down, would it be better to spread it out, say, over three weekends instead of over 11 days? And I understand it creates complications with, you know, the event that's at the Summerfest grounds the weekend before and whatever's down there, you know, this next weekend. But big picture, let's think of Summerfest. Would it be more enjoyable if they went, say, Thursday through Sunday, three weeks in a row? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Drew is lining the calls up. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Just like I say, everybody wants to be a radio program director. Everybody probably wants to be a music director at Summerfest. Here's some texts before we get to the calls. Jeff, Summerfest should be held on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for two consecutive weeks. Okay, so this person is saying cut it down to eight days from 11. They could throw in an additional day of the 4th of July happens to fall between Monday and Wednesday. Attendance would be boosted, and you could not have the down periods of earlier in the week. All right, another text. So Summerfest on weekends only? No, you will deter folks who want to go on quieter days or nights. All right, Jeff. My issue isn't with the dates. Instead, they put all the same type of music at the same times on the same day. Instead, they should designate a stage each night for a different genre of music or a different era of music so people who like one type of music aren't pigeonholed to a one- or two-day thing. You know, that's the way Summerfest used to be back in the day. You had, it was the Miller Jazz Oasis, and then you had kind of like a heavy metal stage, and then you had a country stage. All right, 414-799-1620. Would Summerfest... Moving forward, and I'm not saying necessarily next year, would it be better for them to, say, do it over three weekends instead of over, uh, you know, 11 nights over a 12-day consecutive period? Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Instead of expanding the schedule, I think it'd be better if they try to make three other improvements, and that's, first, I would try to to, uh, start the, the main acts, including those on the side stages, a little sooner so people can get out of there sooner. Mm-hmm. And then three, they should try and make it easier for people to get out of Summerfest at the end of the night. And then the other is that I think that um, they should get more covered areas on all the stages for when the weather gets challenging. Yes, I have to, I mean, thanks. I mean, I have to, I have to think of it. Get Saturday, see, I go down before Summerfest opens. And so as a general rule, I don't have problems getting in and I'm leaving late afternoon. I don't have problems getting out. Saturday night, we went down 5 o'clock, and yeah, it was tough to get in. We left uh, probably around 9 o'clock, so we got out before the major crowds did. I got to say, I I think they do a pretty good job of – I think they do a pretty good job of handling parking given all the people that are coming in, given – as a matter of fact, my my biggest beef is less with Summerfest, but again – it's the legacy of the streetcar. You try to drive around downtown Milwaukee and, you know, lanes of traffic that used to be there and the ability to make left turns, that's gone all because of Tom Barrett's streetcar. Let's talk to Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Jeff? Hi, Tom. I'm like you. I, I like Summerfest and that. I've gone, I was down about, about, about half the time and everything else. But I think, uh, I'm sorry to say, I would get rid of most of the local bands and stuff like that before 6 o'clock because I think Summerfest... Uh, I mean, there, there's hardly anybody down there in that during the daytime, and that I was down there during the daytime as much as I was down there during the, at night. 
But I think that cut that cut that out, and uh, you'd uh, you wouldn't have to have a thousand bands. You could have a hundred bands in uh, in that ten uh, um, ten well, run, and you could be able to maybe even uh, or maybe have it on weekends, have it uh, from noon till noon, uh, noon to midnight type of thing. But I think that during the week it's dead. I think a lot of that stuff is kind of dead uh, before six o'clock, and there's. Well, I got. I mean, Tom, I don't know that I agree. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know that I agree with you on that first Thursday. They they have their their half price day where like beers were half price. So that 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 had a good crowd. They have their they have their kids day, and there were a ton of people there. I mean, the problem is if you only open it at six o'clock at night, what you're pretty much guaranteeing is you're, you're pretty much saying to most families, okay, you're not welcome. I mean, I. I, and I actually I like the variety of music. I like the local bands. I like some of the cover bands that they have there. So I mean, I, you don't want to change the character too much that that's out there. But I do think you have to be open to stuff. All right, let's go to some of our texts, Jeff. From a strictly Summerfest standpoint, three weekends would make sense. However, that would also kill all the other local festivals, not only in attendance but also trying to book national touring acts for the show. That would borderline eliminate festivals like Waukesha County Fair that receives zero funding from the county. Bill says, Summerfest, no, do not spread it out over several weekends. You will interfere and compete with other ethnic and community festivals in the area. Let other communities have an opportunity as well. I mean, so that... I, those are all these different dynamics, and a couple people are making that same point. Weekends only, what happens to the, the other festivals? So the idea of competition. I, I understand, and I think that's a, a valid, I think that's a valid concern that, that you have that's out there. At the same time, I guess one of the things you also have to decide, and again, my, my assessment might be completely different. Maybe, you know, I mean, last year was like a 20-some year low, and, and they got hit by some bad weather. I mean, a lot of different things contributed to that. Maybe the numbers from this year are going to be dramatically higher than last year. I, I don't know that that's the case. I, I know they consider these t- different types of, of things. I will tell you, again, my, my sense was, particularly in some of the weak nights, that it, it was not attended maybe as well as, you know, they would have perhaps hoped. But, of course, on the weekend, like I say, Saturday night, you know, you, you had – it was just enormous. I mean, it was like the Summerfest I remember from kids, from my days as a kid. And, by the way, lots of stuff goes on. There's all sorts of great activities. This is a treasure. And one of the reasons I think you have to have this conversation is it is such a treasure. What can you do to make sure that Summerfest – with the great activities and the wonderful infrastructure, continues for the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. John in Oak Creek. John, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Hi. Hi, John. Um, hi. I like the idea of going the three weekends of Thursday through Sunday because it, um, it goes by really quick. And during the weekdays, there's usually not as many people can go there during the weekdays because of work and everything. But on the weekends, you have more opportunity to go, and I think it goes by really fast, and I think that makes a lot of sense to just expand it through the uh, three weekends. Yeah, I mean, right, right thank, thanks for the call. I, okay, now here, here's another variation of it. Another one of our texters says, two weekends, Wednesday through Sunday, that's 10 days, That that's enough. All right, so, um, huh, okay, so you'd be closed on that Monday and Tuesday. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I guess the the question becomes whether that that Wednesday would you be at a better off again trading a couple weekdays for the weekends? The folks at Summerfest have to crunch the numbers and have to figure this out. Um, let's talk to Greg 
in West Dallas. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Greg. Uh, my concern would be that Thursday through Sunday is the biggest night of the week for people in the service industry. Yep. So if you can't get those days off, like a lot of people can't, People won't be, won't be able to go at all. Uh, right. Well, yeah. Assuming you couldn't take off, so you think that there's a lot of people in the hospitality industry that are there on the on that, either on the first Wednesday or the second Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. Hmm. I have to, I'd have to look. I mean, thanks to I'd, I'd have to look at the numbers, and they. I mean, they keep track of. I mean, they keep track of the numbers. Definitely ten years ago, and remember all the all the opposition that Summerfest ran into when they made the decision to close that Monday, and it also happened to be on the 4th of July, so people were saying, oh, this is unpatriotic, etc. No, they were just making the decision to close on Monday and open to that Wednesday. I have no doubt that if you look back on 10 years of attendance, you'll find a lot more people going when you open on a Wednesday than went on that Monday. I have no doubt that that's correct. I guess I, I'd, have to, I'd have to look at what their attendance is on Tuesday and Wednesday and compare it to what it might be on the weekend. I guess the bottom line of all this is, as somebody who loves Summerfest, and I think many, many of us love Summerfest, and even if you don't go, you should love Summerfest because of what it contributes to the overall vitality of the community. I think you have to be open-minded from time to time about, okay, what do we do moving forward? And just because it's always been Thursday through the next Sunday or now Wednesday through Sunday, take Monday off and then the rest of the week, doesn't necessarily mean that moving forward that's the best way to do it. And we have to be open-minded at least in having that dialogue. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Everybody sing along now. The Magic Dragon. You know, the, 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 the rumor is that Puff the Magic Dragon, people like, it was a song in the early 60s and people thought it was all about dope. It really wasn't. I mean, that's, that's one of these urban myths. It, it was, you know, Puff the Magic Dragon. Now, it's, it's actually about, it's based on a childhood poem based on the loss of innocence. Why are we playing Puff the Magic Dragon? Well, some free legal advice from a recovering attorney here. If you ever ever think it's a good idea to answer the door naked my advice is do not because bad things will happen now peter paul and mary for those of you who uh, before your time and that's probably many of you peter paul and mary were a huge huge folk group in the early 1960s. Now, this is in the time when Bob Dylan was breaking out, and you know you, you had the, all the the Joan Baez was playing, and you had um, Pete Seeger, and uh, all all the different. It was before the Beatles invaded the U.S. It was before you know heavy metal, rock and roll. It was before outlaw country. You know, you had folk music and it, like, kind of classic Americana. The song that Peter, Paul, and Mary are probably best known for is Puff the Magic Dragon. All right. So you had the three performers, and they were just a a great trio. Mary Travers, who was the Mary in Peter, Paul, and Mary, she passed away about 10 years ago. But the other two, Peter and Paul, they are still alive. Peter Yarrow is the Peter in Peter, Paul, and Mary. He is a big-time lefty who has been associated with liberal groups for pretty much his entire career. He sang at former Senator John Kerry's wedding. He performed at events for Bill Clinton. He's got Lifetime Achievement Awards. 
over the years he has showed up at various you know protests he was one of the guys if you remember years ago outside of you know the occupy wall street stuff remember that was going on this peter yarrow was there singing the songs right so why are we talking about peter yarrow well back in 1969 now this was a it was a different time you know and rock stars were treated i think perhaps differently Back in 1969, following a a concert, two teenage sisters, one who was 14 and one who was 17, went up and banged on his hotel room door, seeking an autograph. Yarrow answered the door naked, and he was subsequently charged with taking indecent liberties with a minor. He pled guilty. Now, this is 1969, so it's 50 years ago. He pled guilty. He was sentenced to three months in jail because you have these two underage girls that go up. And again, this is the 60s. I'm not condoning it, but it was the time of free love and the protests and all those type of things. So these two underage girls go up. They bang on his hotel room door. He answers it naked. He's convicted of taking indecent liberties with them. Jimmy Carter 12 years later in 1981, pardoned him, right? But doesn't change the fact that, no, he did what he did. All right, I bring this up because Peter Yarrow was scheduled to perform in September at something called the Colorscape Chenego Arts Festival, which is a small festival, takes place after Labor Day weekend each year in uh, Norwich, a town, I think that's Norwich, Connecticut, right? Um, town uh, about 180 miles northwest of New York City. The event typically draws 10,000 people with live performances and displays of arts and crafts. So he's booked to perform at this. The billing was, hey, come see him. He's one of America's longtime favorite musicians and performers. All right, so they're, they're billing him. He's going to be one of the, the stars that's going to be there. Well, they have now canceled the performance because what what happened is you had a couple people who were familiar with this guy's act from 50 years ago and some of the hashtag me too people decided to go after him and say hey don't you realize that this guy was convicted 50 years ago he showed up at you know he he showed up he answered the door naked he was convicted he was pardoned etc etc how 50 years later can we possibly have him perform at this festival now you know over the years he has yarrow has acknowledged he said okay i feel sorry for this he said it was an era of real indiscretion and mistakes by categorically male performers i was one of them i got nailed i was wrong i'm sorry for it so he hasn't run away from it he's acknowledged it pretty much you know from the beginning but it happened 50 years ago 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line feel free to disagree with me but I think that this hashtag Me Too stuff is going too far when it comes to this particular situation. You have a guy who did something 50 years ago. It appears to be just a, a one-time thing. He's caught. He expresses regret. He's been pardoned. He's not my side of the political aisle, but he has apparently led an exemplary life for the last 50 years. Is it reasonable to say, 
we're not going to let you perform. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is going way too far. What do you think? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Now, we have a number of calls on the line. Actually, it's all guys right now. I would be interested in a female perspective. 414-799-1620. Is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior? If you're just tuning in, Peter Yarrow, who is the Peter of Peter, Paul, and Mary, in 1969, he answers a hotel room door naked. There's a 14- and a 17-year-old girl. Their sister's looking for an autograph. He gets convicted of a misdemeanor, um, indecent liberties with a minor. He does three months in jail. Uh, Jimmy Carter pardons him in 1981. It was 50 years ago. He was scheduled to perform at this little festival in September. The Me Too movement went after him, and now his performance has been canceled because of this thing he did 50 years ago. I'm sorry. At some point in time, I think there needs to be a statute of limitations on bad behavior. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Hi, Dave. I, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, at, at some point, I mean, if, if, if you eliminate all the statute of limitations, we're all going to wind up in jail at some point. We all did something <laughs> stupid. You know, and, you know, well, I, I haven't. I don't, know, I don't think I've answered the door naked with two minor well, girls you know, there. But, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sure there's other, other you know, other, right. you know, Things that would but it was fifty. It was fifty years ago. Well, it's yeah, not like the guy is. He's not on any sex register thing. It's not like it's something he did five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. It was a different time. He paid the price, and he's been pardoned for it. And the thing is, was he didn't invite them to knock on his door. They didn't, I mean, he didn't invite them to knock on his door. Yeah, I, I don't. I got. Yeah, thanks, God. See, Dave, I don't. I don't know enough about the particular circumstances. I mean, it, it's and this is not a justification, but it was the era of free love in the '60s, and 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 I don't I don't know all the circumstances, and I, I I'm certainly not going to defend the guy. He was convicted of taking indecent liberties of of a child. My guess is there were a lot of rock stars that found a lot of groupies that showed up at parties or whatever, and a lot of them were probably underage. I'm not endorsing it. I'm not condoning it all. What he did was wrong. I'm just saying it was 50 years ago. Go, Lynn in Pewaukee. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Good. Give me the female perspective on this. Well, I had something very similar happen to me that happened to those two young girls at a very similar age. And it was closer to 40 years ago than 50 years ago. And my thought is that people make mistakes. Yeah. And... As a society, we need to forgive those mistakes. If this man has spent the past 50 years, hasn't had any more problems, I mean, yeah. in my opinion, to let him play. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's. I mean, thanks for. I mean, I, I just. What frustrates me is we, we, we have. On the one hand, we talk so much about how we, we want to, we want people to get second and third and fourth chances and we want to have rehabilitation. And, and don't you realize that we've got all these people that are in prisons and they're in jail and all these type of things and, and we're preventing them from enjoying life because we ostracize them, you know, when they come out of prison and something like that. In this case, and I'm, I'm not defending the guy at all. Clearly, it was a different time, but what he did was definitely wrong. But, 
you, you don't hear this guy being talked about, about, oh, gee, you know, he's some sort of pervert. My guess is if you look at a lot of the rock stars from the 60s, including people who are still out there now, whether it's Paul McCartney or Mick Jagger or fill in the blank, my guess is if you went back and you looked at what they did when they were on the road, my guess is there wasn't this really fine line between, you know, gee, is is how old is this particular girl or whatever. And I'm not condoning it at all. And clearly, if there's a complaint and they get caught, they have to pay the consequences. That's what Peter Yarrow did. And he's not my side of the aisle. But at, at some point in time, I think you got to be really, really careful when you start these movements, that they don't become complete and total witch hunts in search of a witch. And in this particular case, saying to somebody who's performed over the decades and done all sorts of things and gotten all these awards and, you know, been the spokesperson for the left, that that no, because of this 50 years ago, the term they use is, well, some of our people, some people in the community thought it might be uh, problematic to have him there. Really? I mean, Really? At some point in time, don't you have to say, okay, what is in the past is in the past, and hashtag move on? This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner, crew, who's producing the show today. And all I, uh, th- th- that promo we ran for, like, Eric Bilstadt and stuff, th- did he really say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living here and I'm going to die here? Really? He did. He did. He did. Huh. It, interesting choice of promo material, you know, but I... He, he he's dug in. I guess that's what I mean. You you got roots. He's he's already planning that that next step. He's committed. He is committed. Ab- absolutely. Don't know exactly how you know that, but oh, that's okay. He's he is he is committed. All right. Just just one final thought on the Peter Paul and Mary guy. There, somebody text Jeff. You can't convince me that he didn't look through the peephole to see who was there before he opened it. The fact that he opened it with two young girls there speaks volumes for his lack of character. He's a grade A jerk. I, look, I don't disagree with any of that. I would, and I'm and I'm not justifying it by saying it was a different time. I was watching, oh gosh, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Remember they had this big documentary on the history of the Eagles. You know, great rock band, Glenn Frey, Don Don Henley, and and it it just followed the Eagles for their whole career. And they were talking about how when the band was on tour, what they used to do is that you'd have a road manager that would like look in the first two rows and find the prettiest girls that they could find and then bring them back to hotel rooms for parties. My guess is they weren't checking IDs. That's just kind of my guess. And again, I'm not endorsing this type of behavior, but my, my point is I think this probably went on a, a lot. Now, in the case of Peter from Peter, Paul, and Mary, you know, he got caught. He got caught 50 years ago, and presumably learned his lesson i'm just saying that you know you reach a certain point where where maybe you, you get to take off that scarlet a obviously these festival organizers have issues with this but my guess is it's just a handful of people maybe just one or two whiny people who you know can't forgive and can't recognize that there's a statute of limitations for almost everything so I, again i I never saw him in concert. I wouldn't be going to this festival, but boy, you know, where do you draw the line? Crew, did you ever read Mad Magazine? No, not you really. never. So, Mad Magazine before you. Do you know what Mad Magazine is? Yeah, I would see it at a at a grocery store and stuff like that. But you never. All right, I, I bring this up because if you are of a certain generation, Mad if if you grew up in the '60s or the '70s, 
maybe even a little bit later than that, you, 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 Mad Magazine, together with National Lampoon, was was the the humor magazine, and if you were if you were cool, if you were hip, you know you'd be reading Mad Magazine. I can remember reading Mad Magazine in in grade school and stuff. That's not that I was cool or hip, you know, in grade school or any other point in time in my life. But you know, Mad Magazine with the Alfred E. Newman "What Me Worry" character. I mean, it was it was sort of all kind of countercultural. It was a little bit more mainstream than, say, like National Lampoon and any of that stuff. But it was this incredibly popular magazine. Now, I have not thought about Mad Magazine for decades. But believe it or not, it has been publishing until, well, they announced over the weekend that Mad Magazine, that, that goes back to the 50s, I think, um, it, it's now done. They're going to, they, they've got some subscriptions. So what they're going to do is they're going to stop publishing new material and then they're going to like reproduce stuff for the next nine or ten issues till they satisfy their subscription obligations, and then the thing is just essentially going to die. But it, I, I bring this up only because I say if you were of a certain age, Mad Magazine, it was one of those things where okay, when's the new issue of Mad coming out? And you'd run to the you know newsstand to check it out. Um, well, generations change, tastes change, times change. National Lampoon, gone a long time ago. Mad Magazine outlasted that. But if you've still, I don't know, got some of those old issues in the basement, you know, keep them. They might be worth money someday. Or maybe kind of show them to your, your kids or your grandkids. Because the truth is, it was a kinder, gentler time. And what passed for even cutting-edge humor then, a lot different than what passes for cutting-edge humor now. And by the way, you know, if you wanted to talk about politically incorrect, that would be Mad Magazine. All right. When we come back, Starbucks goes Nike, and I think we have to have a response. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Over the weekend, Starbucks goes Nike. And my question is, why are people still patronizing the woke Starbucks and paying ridiculous amounts for overpriced coffee given the disdain that Starbucks has for so many mainstream Americans. Now, let, let, let's kind of re- review the, the bidding here. You know, Starbucks is, of course, one of these companies that prides itself on, on being woke and, and, and aware of all the different, we want to be, you know, all-inclusive and we, we want to mean something to everybody. And that's why, you know, we, we are not going to throw anybody out of our restaurants. And you can come in and you can sit in the Starbucks for as long as you want. You don't have to buy anything and you can use the bathrooms, all that type of stuff, because, well, you know, we want to be this kind of community center okay that's their business model they get to do that but at some point in time isn't enough enough now if you haven't heard this story what happens is this goes back to the 4th of july so we're talking about what last um last thursday you have in their tempe arizona starbucks before duty you have about a half dozen on they're they're in uniform but they're they're killing time before they have to go and punch in you have about a half dozen police officers tempe police officers who are in uniform who have gone to their local starbucks 
and they've ordered coffee, and they're standing there, and they're drinking their coffee. And and they've done this before, so they're known to the barista, etc. You've got a loser in the coffee store who sees these police officers there, and the loser goes up to one of the baristas and says, well, you, you, you've got to make these police officers leave. I, 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 can't, I can't look at them because, well, I mean, they, they make me feel unsafe. There's all these police officers here. They make me feel unsafe. You, you've, you've got to make a move. You, you've got to get them out of here because I, I feel unsafe. And so now there's two ways you can go with this. One is you can have the barista, the kid that makes the coffee, say to the person who is making the complaint, sir, they're customers too, you really need to get a life. And if you're going to be so upset about it, maybe you need to take your coffee to go. And by the way, there's not a racial element to this, if anybody's wondering. All the people involved here, the cops, the barista, and the complaining guy, they're all white. So this isn't a, this isn't a racial issue. All right, so the, the guy complains. The barista um, kind of interacts with him. And then the guy comes back and he complains a couple other times. There's these police officers that are in this place. At which point in time, instead of simply saying to the whiny, out-of-control kook who's making these complaints, instead of saying, sorry, they're customers, I, I don't know what else to tell you to, to do, he then goes to the police and he says, well, you know, you know, we, we've got this guy that's complaining about your, your presence, and um, I need you to either move out of his line of sight Move out of his line of sight, or you're going to need to leave. At which point in time, the police officers all leave. Now, Starbucks has given kind of contradictory sort of responses on this. On the one hand, and the headline that they've got in some places, that they have apologized. Um, and one of their spokesperson people said that she wanted to sincerely apologize to the officers of the Tempe Police Department. When those officers entered the store and a customer raised a concern about their presence, they should have been welcomed and treated with dignity and the utmost respect. Um, instead, they were made to feel unwelcome and disrespected, which is completely unacceptable. That's one version. Now, another version that's given by, uh, again, one of the Starbucks people is one of their spokesperson says, the barista attempted to make the best of a challenging situation. Um, and to which my response would be, what do you mean make the best of a challenging situation? You've got some kook that is complaining about the police. I'm just so, I'm so frustrated. They, they, I can't even see them. You know, they're there drinking coffee. What is a challenging situation there? There is only one response that you would have, and that response would be, they're entitled to be here. Sorry, sir. Take your coffee to go. 414-799-1620. But this is, and again, I understand Starbucks is getting a lot of heat from this, but, but this, See, to me, this is a complete and total no-brainer, and I don't understand the hostility that people show towards the police. But more importantly, these businesses, you know, who have this overwhelming desire to be woke and show that they're compassionate and understanding, and and we want to tolerate everybody. Well, okay, by doing this, they are becoming some of the most intolerant around. Who asks cops to leave? Shame on Starbucks. And why do people continue to... Again, pay big money at a place like this 
for overpriced coffee. 414-799-1620. Russell in Lake Geneva. Russell, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Miss you down here in Lake Geneva. <laughs> Thanks. You know, it kind of reminds you of the 60s when you had people calling police pigs. And yeah. there's, a bumper, there's a bumper sticker that said, next time you're in trouble, call a pig. You know, let, let's just say there's an armed robbery or something yeah. at Starbucks. Is this guy going to feel uncomfortable with these police being in there? And as a customer, because I go to Starbucks in Geneva once in a while, but I, and I buy their coffee at, in the stores, but if I would have seen that, I, I'm saying something to, are you kidding? I'm out of here, too. You know, that, that is, whatever person, you know, that wanted, that felt uncomfortable with these cops being in there and this barista, right. you know, they, they got... How about some common sense? Well, that's I mean, right. That I mean, yeah. right. That that's exactly. It. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, that that see, that's what's so amazing about the whole aspect of this story. That there is a simple way to handle this, which is to tell the person to go away. I'm sorry, sir. You mean they are doing nothing wrong? The police are in here. You know, yes, they're going to go to work. They paid for their coffee. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the guy saying, going up to police officers and saying, I'm sorry, you got somebody that's complaining about this. Could you move out of his line of sight? I mean, really, at some point in time, and I get that we're all supposed to be woke and sensitive to all this stuff, and I understand, believe me, that there's some people who believe the police are their enemy until they need the police presence, at which point in time then they really want them. But... How can you reasonably do something like this? And how could you be as a barista? See, it, I don't think it's just this individual coffee guy, though. My th- belief is that this is what happens at Starbucks, where you decide, all right, we're going to be so welcoming and so understanding, and we're going to bend over backwards to try to accommodate the lunatic fringe. Instead of simply saying, buddy, you're nuts, I'm not asking these police officers to move. And, again, you're going to have to deal with it, and if you don't come back here, fine. Now, of course, you know if he would have done that, then what would have happened is the loon would have gone and tried to find a TV station and said, they threw me out of Starbucks because I was complaining that the police were, you know, in my line of vision, and I I, I don't know, I was having a panic attack about this. And you know, because I understand, on the one hand, if that had happened, Starbucks would have found, again, some of the lunatic fringe that would be protesting against them. Jeff, um, my son is now an officer. He feels the same way. Starbucks continues to disrespect the police nationwide. I'll never set foot in a Starbucks again. Um, Let's see. Better story would have been Starbucks employee tells Weiner to suck it up, Buttercup. These are the good good guys with the guns. Um, Yes. Let's see. Jeff, I think the sad reality is that the barista was probably as misguided and prejudiced against police as the patron who complained. And likely too many people around America influenced by groupthink, disrespect for police, often fueled by vocal persuasive influencers on social media to which the congregation says, you know, a amen. And this is what, you know, this is what Starbucks has brought about. Jeff, I, when I was a restaurant manager, we offered police 10 percent off if they came in at eight. Um, it offered us free police protection for that 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, that that's it. You think from a Starbucks perspective, would you rather have six officers drinking coffee in there or would you rather have this one crazy person? The bottom line is you can't legislate to the lowest common denominator. I say that all the time. And, and this is exactly that situation. The guy that complained about the cops was the lowest common denominator. 
you're always going to have the kook fringe that's out there. But nowadays we have, again, the, the social justice warriors and you have these woke companies that decide, well, okay, we're going to have to, we, we don't want to upset anybody. And if that means telling six police officers that they have to either leave or reposition themselves out of the sight of, uh, again, the lowest common denominator, that's what they choose to do. My God, this country is going nuts. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As long as we were talking about bizarre decisions by companies in the effort to be woke, new update on the Nike controversy. Everybody knows the story by now. Nike comes out with these these shoes, these high-priced, overpriced tennis shoes, um, and they have the, the Betsy Ross flag on, on the heels. The Betsy Ross flag is, of course, one of the original flags of the, the colonies. It's got 13 stars and a circle, all right? It's it is a flag that is featured prominently in museums and things like that. They come out with this into the fray wades Colin Kaepernick, former NFL quarterback who is now. Well, Colin Kaepernick is apparently now the guy who decides, you know, what what is racist and what isn't. And Colin Kaepernick says, well, wait, we, we, we Nike, you, you can't do this because this is the flag of this country back in the 1700s. And remember, they had slavery then. And, and this, is, this is linked to slavery, and this is so terrible. And Nike, to its eternal shame, and I say this again, I will never, ever, as long as Colin Kaepernick is a spokesperson and Nike is upset with being woke, I will never, ever spend another dime on a Nike product. No shoes, no, you know, no, no golf wear, no golf balls. My wife said, well, I've got a pair of Nike shoes. Should I throw them out? I said, well, no, that, that's silly. I'm not telling you to throw out your Nike shoes because you've already spent them. I am saying we're not spending any more money on, on Nike. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you have to burn your Nike clothing because they've already got your dough, but I will never spend another dime until Nike changes. Now, of course, I did a, I posted something on my Twitter page, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 over the weekend, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal where, you know, it analyzed Nike and, and what it essentially said is Nike, okay, if people like me don't spend another dime on them, they don't care. They, they, they just don't care because their target audience is the people that are just enraptured with Colin Kaepernick, and and they, they don't care. They don't care if sixty or seventy percent of the people won't buy their products. They're 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 selling their shoes to this again. The, these this group of people that are woke. That's all they care about. So, all right, that's fine. They can make that decision. I can make my decision as to how I spend my money. But if you want to look at just how ridiculous this is and how absurd the company looks when it gets led by the nose down the path of political correctness by somebody like Colin Kaepernick. There's a story I'm looking at in all places like the Chicago Tribune and you know and they actually they do a history they they actually go to a number of museums and a number of groups, including some of the groups that monitor hate groups, and they say what, what, is there a problem with this flag? And, and here's what they say. The Anti-Defamation League does not include this flag in its definition of, of hate symbols. They say, um, you know, actually, you know, the flag is most commonly used by people for patriotic purposes. Now, that's not to say that there might not be some obscure weirdo, you know, on the Internet that's got some 
you know, neo-Nazi hate thing that has this an image of this flag up there. But, you know, just because you've got the lunatic fringe on the right, just like you've got a lunatic fringe on the left, that, that doesn't mean you can co-op historical signatures. You know, interestingly enough, this flag... Apparently, you know, most people say, well, it's not in the white supremacist movement. It's it's an historical flag. It's displayed prominently at all sorts of museums and things like that. Nobody nobody's taking this down. It's just, all right, Colin Kaepernick becomes concerned with this. But just like what happened in Starbucks, it, again, this this is what happens when you have these corporations that decide we're going to obsess with political correctness, we're not going to think things through, and, all right, in the case of Starbucks, it might have been, oh, boy, you know, we've got this one lunatic who doesn't even want to see the sight of police, and if we don't ask the police to leave, he's going to be upset, and then we're going to have protesters. Nike's the same way. Gee, Colin Kaepernick has a problem, you know, who he's clearly, you know, he's historically ignorant, but he's got a problem with this particular flag. Oh, we we can't have Colin Kaepernick upset with us. We have to do whatever he wants, and as a result, you make this idiotic decision idiotic in the big picture maybe for them like i say nike doesn't care what most people think as long as they've got the colin kaepernick supporters who are going to go buy their shoes they're going to be satisfied but at some point in time i gotta believe that that there is a backlash against these companies for that just saying this is jeff wagner wtmj you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj So very glad to have you with us. All right, third of July, big tradition in my wife's side of the family is the Menominee Falls Parade, and actually her kids and her, her one of her, her her oldest daughter and a number of her friends have embraced this. And what they do, I, I, I told the story last week, and, and what they do is at Menominee Falls, you can set up for the parade. The, the 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 July third fireworks you can you can set up like at seven o'clock the night before. So what they do is they go out and they start reserving space, and it's the same people you know every year at these same different areas, and you get to know people and all, and and it's it's a it's a wonderful party. All right, that is in the heart of Menominee Falls, and and that's great. As I was driving out there to attend the parade on July third, I, I happened to. Past this area, it's kind of like it's by West Brown Deer Road and forty one forty five. And if you've ever driven in that area, you see what appear to be my gosh, these are giant hills. These are like they're ski hills for goodness sakes. What are they? Well, you you don't want to be skiing on them because it's the largest dump in the state of Wisconsin, and they want to do something with this dump. And my question is, huh? Do you really think that this is a good idea? So let, let's, and my answer would be, <laughs> not if I lived anywhere by it, but I'm, I'm willing to have this discussion. All right, now, if you can picture the area where I'm talking about, it's this giant dump, 725 acres. So huge, huge hills, and underneath them, it's garbage. Drew, you don't know where I'm talking about. You, you haven't seen this. Oh, you should really drive out there. I mean, it's just... It, it looks like ski hills, and they've got, like, grass over the stuff, but it, it's a dump. It's garbage. It's a landfill. So here's here's the deal. 725-acre landfill. Now, Menominee Falls 
wants to continue to have the dump operate because they get about $3.1 million a year that in what they call tipping fees that waste management pays them. So, you know, the people in Menominee Falls, or at least the, the powers that be, they want to have, they want to have this area continue to be a dump. Who would buy a condo or anything near there? I don't know, but not me. So anyhow, here's the problem. The, the dump is running out of space. So this is the plan that they have come up with. Now, now right now, like I say, waste management owns this place. All right. On part of the dump, what, what they did, um, there, there's a, a 58 acre site that goes as, as part of this dump and it goes back to like the, the sixties and the seventies and stuff. And what happened is, they they buried all sorts of things on this site years and years ago. This is actually before waste management owned it. It was operated from fifty four to seventy one, and and what happened is this fifty acre section of the bigger dump contains municipal and industrial waste and an array of pesticides and chemical compounds, including volatile organic compounds, which pose public health dangers. Right, because so I mean, th- this is the stuff that you know. You mean it? You know, it, it 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 turns your body, you know, blue and green, and you grow extra body parts if you're exposed to it. That type of stuff. So, all right, so it's buried there. So, what waste management wants to do is they they say, okay, well, here's what can happen. We want to dig up all the 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 environmental waste, the Superfund waste. We want to dig it up. And we want to rebury it on a different part of the dump. And by doing that, they've got it calculated that they can generate like a lot more space. Because apparently the way they buried it years and years ago was ineffective or inefficient or whatever. And they estimate that by digging up all this toxic stuff and relocating it to another part of the dump, they can increase this space and they can keep the dump going for another like 10 or 20 years. Of course, the downside is... You gotta dig up all this toxic waste. Now, the folks at waste management say, "Oh, nothing to worry about here, because you know what what happens is if we if we dig this up, and you know it, it contains, you know, we it, it produces methane gas, and you know we put up these walls to stop stuff from seeping out and all. But what what we'll do is if we dig it up and we relocate it, we'll move it." to a more modern lined landfill with more environmental controls. So, you know, we'll, because right now it's like on the top of the ground, so we'll we'll move all this stuff, we'll put it in, you know, a different facility, and that'll free up a different part of the dump, and that'll free up all this other space so we can continue dumping crap, you know, here for the next 10 or 15 years. There are a couple environmental groups who are starting to say, Wait a minute. You know, maybe we want to put the brakes on, on this a little bit because Lord knows what's going to happen when you dig up all this toxic stuff to move. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand the dump generates a ton of money for Menominee Falls. I also understand that we have to do something with, you know, our, our waste products. I, I get it. I, I get it. And, and maybe this is the ideal solution. 
and I don't live in Menominee Falls, but if I lived in Menominee Falls and I heard the idea was to dig up incredibly toxic stuff that has been sitting there for the last, I don't know, you know, 40 to 50 years, expose it to outside and then move it somewhere else on the dump site, I would be, how should I say, I would be saying, all right, maybe we we need to rethink this a little bit or at least put the brakes on this until we know for sure what is going to be the effect of this. Now, I understand waste management wants bigger space. I, I get it. And waste management, their selling point is, well, when we rebury this, we'll rebury it according to, you know, the standards that we have now. So there'll be liners and there's less of a problem. But, of course, you're digging it up in the first place. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, I'm looking at this plan. And maybe this makes the most sense, and I understand it's going to make a lot of money for Menominee Falls, but before you start digging up toxic Superfund stuff that's been in one place for 50 years, I'd be really, really careful. All right, Gru is lining up the calls we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Here's one of my favorite texts. Jeff, it's not a dump. It's an engineered landfill. <laughs> okay, you say potato, I say potato. The question is, you've had its hazardous waste. It's a super, part of it's a super fun site. You've got hazardous waste from the 50s and 60s and early 70s buried in one location. Waste management wants more space. They, they want to be able to put more stuff there, so they want to dig up. The, the hazardous waste, they want to move it to another area of the engineered landfill, and they, they want to reposition it, which will give them more space to allow um, more stuff to be dumped there over the years. Good idea, bad idea. Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. I'm the engineered landfill guy, by the way. Okay. I design, manage, and run landfills for 35 years in the pulp and paper industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they're doing is, is very appropriate. What they're going to do is they're going to take waste that's probably sitting in a dump, an online facility. Mm-hmm. They're going to build a line facility that's going to have leachate collection mm-hmm. so the stuff doesn't get in the groundwater. They're going to transfer it there and cap it. That's the right thing to do. Well, you say that. Now, the reason they're doing it is because they want more space. They, they wouldn't do it otherwise. So it's not like they're doing this to be environmentally sensitive. They're doing it because they, they want more space. Okay, well, can we agree with that as, the, as a premise? Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't really see an issue with that. I oh, mean, Well, I mean, it's only an issue if there, there's a problem. Do you, do you think that there might be a problem in digging up toxic stuff that's been sitting there for 50 years and at least as of the last study in 2017 hadn't caused a problem do you is there anything is there anything that could happen if they dig up the stuff not if they do it properly if they use the right control engineering controls in place and they segregate the waste they dig it out they put it where they're supposed to i've done this before it can Mm -hmm. be done and they you know it's it's a false proposition that they're doing this just to save space i'll tell you what as long as people continue to generate waste, you're going to need some sort mm-hmm. of landfill. Right. It's almost impossible today to go ahead and to site and permit a new landfill. So I think it's very wise to try to use the space that's available to them, you know, as efficiently as possible. 
Okay, thanks for the call. I and, and look, and there's, uh, but let's let, let let's understand. I mean, waste management and Menominee Falls. Waste management pays Menominee Falls a whole bunch of money. They they want this because they want to continue to make more space. And and yeah, if, if it wasn't for the fact that you're, it's if it wasn't for the fact that you're digging up stuff that's been there for fifty years and apparently hasn't caused a problem. Um, I, I don't know. That's where I think the concern is, and it's why I think a lot of people are saying you need to go slow because who knows what happens once you start disturbing all this stuff that's been there for the last 50 years. Linda in Pleasant Prairie. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Linda. Yeah, I, was a chemist at, I was a chemist at that landfill in 1980. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know what went into that landfill, and it was not um, – it, it wasn't as, as manifested on the manifest that came in on the trucks. Okay, so you're saying so, there's you saying there's even more. There, you're saying there's nasty stuff that that's buried in that oh yeah. location. When I worked there, you did, it, 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 they dumped liquids there. They, they dumped gasoline there. I mean, it was it was bad. Okay, so uh, uh, from so your I, perspective as a chemist, do you think it's a good idea to? Dig the essential and to to move this, exposing all this stuff to the elements and, and move it however far they're going to move it to put it in now a more modern containment facility. I wouldn't touch it, only because I don't think they know what they're going to get into until they start digging. And once they start digging, it's really too late. Exactly. Then then you uncovered the problem. Okay, so you're saying you think that based on your experience there, it it's it's worse than anybody really thinks. Yes. Huh. Uh, well, that's, that's my experience. Okay. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate the perspective. Don't don't know. Um, it, it is. And look, and I understand the argument. By the way, I understand what our the point our first caller Steve from Green Bay was making that the the, the justification for this. And they're going to say, well, don't you don't have to worry about anything because we're going to move it to a different area, a different site, and we're going to have this area that's lined. And it, it's up to 2019 standards, and we're going to put all the stuff in there, and it's going to guarantee that the stuff's not going to seep, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, that that's the appeal of it. Now, the problem is that the way they they positioned it, and, and yes, it's not lined or anything like that, but apparently they haven't been having a problem with it. The cautionary tale and the question is, once we start getting in here and we dig it up and we expose it to the elements, et cetera, are we going to be creating a problem? And if, you know, our caller, Linda, who said she worked there in the 80s, if if we don't exactly know what we're getting into. Now, all I have to hear is the phrase, it's a super fun site. You know, and that tells me that it's, okay, this is something that the EPA was looking after for. This, this tells me that it, it's more than just, like, re, you know, straws that can't be recycled. 414-799-1620. Bob in Hartford. Hi, Bob. You're on WTMJ. Hey, um Actually, uh, the city and the state probably should be thinking waste management because um, if there becomes, if I was buried there before it was waste management, right, and that stuff seeps into the ground level, you know, these barrels break open or whatever's dumped there, finally seeps down into the into the groundwater and stuff, and then we somebody's got to pay to clean it up. It mm-hmm. won't be waste management at that point. So all that stuff. They're willing to right now, so they can make money in the city of sure, Manami Falls. Also sure. make some money, but they're willing right now to dig that stuff up. And obviously, they have to 
do with uh, DNR regulations and, you know, and stay within all the, you know, guidelines. But if they get that stuff moved and encapsulated in clay, in a, you know, in a, right. in a special place, believe me, it would save the state and the town and everybody else a ton of money because right now the state isn't paying for it. They are. I guess my yeah, question it, would be, and, and I, I understand everything you're saying, there's kind of a big if, which is, if you can do this without affecting the environment. And I guess my question is, right now it's not seeping. It's been 50 yeah, years, but, and right, so but, it, but, it could it happen? Yes, it, it, it could yeah, happen. It, it's going to happen. It's, okay. it's, it's not if, it's when. Okay. Uh, those things, all those, you know, I mean, most of those landfills have been already dug up and changed, you know, and the state has been fitting the bill for it. Right. So if, you, we, if we have an opportunity to waste management, could foot the bill rather than me as a taxpayer have to foot the bill. Right. Uh, I, I would be all gung home for that. And do you it, think there is they, a risk to, to disturb? Do you think? Do you, do well, it. okay. So do you think you don't think there's any risk to the environment by by going in and 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 re- removing and moving this this fifty year old toxic sludge that's there? You don't see no, a with, risk with the with the standards and the stuff they have to keep within to move the stuff. Yeah, they're the risk would be minute compared to the amount of risk that will be by leaving it there in a non-secure area. Okay, thanks to call, Bob. I guess that's what they're going to have to decide. My question is: Isn't this how every Godzilla movie starts? You know, I mean, it's just where you know you you un you unearth this like Lord knows what it is, and next thing you know, the the salamander becomes Godzilla. Is it now? I I I think. I, this might make the most sense, all right? It, it it might, and and obviously that area is kind of a lost area in in general. But you do want to be concerned about groundwater and things like that. Right now, they don't have a problem. Moving forward, if you can do this safely and effectively, and they say nothing to see here, nothing to worry about here, it'll be safer and it gives us more space. And I understand whether you want to call it a dump or an you know engineered landfill or whatever. You, you need to, we need to have some place for our garbage to go. I guess to me, my only cautionary tale is before you start disturbing stuff that's been buried and not causing problems from 50 years ago that is clearly toxic, you better be real clear as to what it is that you're going to be moving and how how you're going to be getting it there because the the risk if something goes wrong it seems to me it's 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 a pretty huge risk so you know you, you don't want to do that unless you're absolutely sure now if you can pretty much guarantee that there's not going to be a problem maybe that's a different dynamic again you got to go out there you got to see it's like ski hills it's these these giant hills and it looks like oh these are interesting ski hills or this might be a nice place to build a house nah not really <laughs> not i'll pack really. my toboggan pack your toboggan a- absolutely yeah and you see it's 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 definitely different but you know three million dollars a year for menominee falls this is jeff wagner live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner so during the break, I'm talking to John McCure, who lives in Menominee Falls, and he says, I was listening to that segment with interest. I said, what do you think? He says, well, you're, you're, you're right that before they start moving all this toxic sludge, they better be damn sure that they're going to be able to do this without making matters worse. And I said, I think that's that's a fair sort of thing. Hey, but, you know, just 
if you think you're having a bad day or you think you've got a crummy job, okay, you're flipping burgers and you're making $12 an hour or whatever, and you know, you're, or you're working at a drive through line, you're out there laying bricks, okay, all, all that stuff. I, I get it. But if you want to feel better about yourself, can you imagine the poor you-know-whats who have to put on the hazmat suits and move you know, toxic waste from one site to another? I, I, I mean, look, I, I have a, a real blessing. I, I get excited about coming in here to work every day. It's like, oh, this is great. I get to sit and talk to people. I'm wondering how I would feel if you wake up on a Monday morning and, okay, today's the day we put on the hazmat suit and we go and we unearth this toxic sludge that's been buried for 50 years and we move the toxic sludge to some other place i am just and i and god bless that there's people that do it and hopefully they are well compensated for for what they do because you'd hope you're not you're just not hiring you know molary and shemp to go out and, and dig that stuff up so you'd hope it's it's very very trained and very very qualified but still even so if that's your chosen profession it's like man i just, just it, it just kind of makes you feel better about yourself like for example Gru, would you ever want to be a dentist no, no, no. Me, me neither. And and I mean, look. And I, I look. I, I, I. If if my if my dentist Paul is listening, I, I'm, I'm glad he's a great dentist. I, there's hygienists, and there's. I mean, I've had a couple root canals, and and I'm glad that there's all those people that are out there to do it. Just, I, I just sticking my fingers in people's mouths all day. I just wouldn't want to do it. I don't like looking inside my own mouth. Right. Exactly. Ex- exactly. That's that's that that's my point. And I'm glad they're doing it. And I'm willing to pay people. And I just, I'm just kind of thinking, huh? You know, it's just it's just not my idea of fun. But I'm glad people that that do it. And I'm I have a really really good dentist and been my dentist for decades. And and I'm glad he does it. It's just kind of like, huh? It just wouldn't be me. Just like. I wouldn't be the guy that says, "Oh, I'm I'm going to put on the hazmat suit every day and I'm going to move 50 years worth of toxic sludge that we don't know what it is from one place to another." I it's just it's not my way of making a living, but God bless the people that do. All right, speaking of making a living. This weekend, big news is that the US Women's World Cup team won the World Cup. All right? This is the fourth time they have done it. The women say we deserve to be paid the same as the men. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should they be paid the same? Now, before you answer, it's it's a little bit complicated. Matter of fact, the, the um, Washington Post has the, this huge breakdown on the whole question of are they underpaid relative to the men? And the, the answer is probably, but it's tougher to, to figure out. It's, it's, it's tougher to make an apples and oranges comparison. Cause, cause here's the thing. The U.S. women's team in World Cup, they're, they're excellent. They, they have achieved great things. They won the World Cup, for example, and you get paid bonuses on how many games you play, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the men, on the other hand, they didn't even make the World Cup competition the last time they had it a couple of years ago. The men's team is not good. The women's team is very good. So the women's team actually does pretty well from a compensation perspective, but that's because they're better. They play more games. They get bonuses. On top of that, a lot of a lot of the compensation that comes in, and this is why it's kind of tough to to figure out, because a lot of the money that comes in is based on, on sponsorships and things like that, and it's harder to figure out what's based on men's versus what's based on women. Plus, they have different formulas. Um, men's, the, the men's guys, men's team, 
are, and I could have this reversed, but they're paid, women are paid if they're on the roster. The men's team is only played if, if they actually play or they're active for a game, but they, but they get more per game. So it, it's kind of apples and oranges. The answer is the women's team probably makes less um, overall. But when you add in bonuses and things like that, in any given year, they could do better. But they're, they're paid in a different fashion. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At the same time, these are the U.S. national teams. You've got the men. You've got the women. Women's team is extremely popular. Should they be compensated the same way, the same formulas, is it fair to treat them completely and totally equally? And my, my only th- comment would be, if the answer to that is yes, some of the women, you've you got to be careful what you wish for, because at least some of the ways they calculate these things, some of the women actually might do worse under, like, we're going to treat everybody equally than they do now. But, you know, should they be paid equally? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, you know, my answer, even with that kind of long buildup, is, is yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't, just like years and years ago, if you looked at, like, the major tennis tournaments, like Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, they paid women differently than they paid men. That That's changed. Nowadays, I, I think this, I think when you look at soccer, and, you know, I mean, I understand NBA teams, if you're playing in the NBA, you make a lot more than if you're in the WNBA. But that's not the U.S. national team. That's just the difference between sports. I, I think I think soccer would do well to say, look, we're going to have one standard, and this is the deal, and this is going to be how we divide money, and we're going to pay the men in the same fashion as we pay the women. I just think that's the fair thing to do. 414-799-1620. Having said that, though, like I say, that might, in certain years, actually cost some women some money. Ian in Kenosha. Ian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, How Ian. are you? I am well, thank you. And and what do you think? Well, I, I think that women should be paid the same as men, and I think that they should uh, have more um, more rights, men. Uh, mm-hmm. But they, but since they don't get get this much attention, I mean, they have more attention than men's. U.S. soccer team to yep. get more titles, but I think it's discriminating against women. I mean, I don't think I think women should get paid equally mm-hmm. because it, I mean, it's sports. I mean, I, I would follow it if I yeah. if I did. But well, especially I since don't. it's I mean, thanks to go, especially since it's the U.S. national team. Thanks for the call, Ian. I mean, it, look, it's one thing. There's going to be pay disparities, but in, in for example, the, the private sector. Okay, the, the NBA generates a ton more money than the WNBA. Lots more people are fans of men's basketball than they are of women's basketball. So in that case, you understand where the pay disparity comes in because, again, the men are making a lot more money, so that's how you can you know give Kawhi Leonard $140 million or whatever it was that he signed over four years. You, know, you, you can't do that in a private sector thing. But here we're... We're talking about, again, the U.S. national team. And I think, at the very least, it, it makes sense to, you know, standardize this so that it, it is this kind of level playing field. And I, I was I, w- I was actually trying to do, like I say, a little bit of research in this whole thing, figuring out, 
you know, how is the compensation the same? How is it different? And it is it is just very different. It's kind of apples and oranges. Makes no sense to me to have the, these different, well, in the one case, you know, we're going to pay you if on the roster. The other case, we're only going to pay you if you have to play. Well, you get bonuses for this. You don't get bonuses for that. It seems to me if you're on the U.S. national team, men or women, that it, it should be the same. And my guess is right now, because the men's team, no offense, isn't very good, didn't even make the World Cup, my guess is the women's team generates probably as much, if not more, revenue. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. David and Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, uh, so really quickly, so from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, on the world stage, the men's uh, amount of revenue is like close to four billion dollars for the World Cup, and the men, uh, the the men, I guess, get a nine percent cut. The U.S. team, and then the women. Uh, if you compare that to what's going on with the women, they generate a lot less revenue, but uh, you know there's a lot of interest in them this year, obviously because they're they're very good. But the amount of revenue, from what I understand, that they were was generated through all that was like around seventy three million and they get a thirteen percent cut. So I'm not sure how we could compensate the women um basis on the fact that there's just so much more revenue coming in on the men's ledger versus the women's well, ledger. But I guess, I, uh, David, I'm not sure that those numbers are right. I'm, I'm looking at this huge breakdown of this. Now, keep in yeah. mind that the U.S. men's team didn't even make the World Cup, you know, right, last correct. year. So, right. you know, and so maybe that's an aberration, but their revenue, since they didn't even make the World Cup, their, their revenue from that, I think, is less than the team that ended up winning. Now, if they had won the World Cup, it would be completely right. different. So it, it's right. kind of apples and oranges. Is, is the sure. That's part of the problem they have. But you think it should be based on earnings. Right, yes. Um, okay, well, thanks. Nicole. Well, that's, I mean, again, I'm looking at the... The story and Washington Post, their, their fact checker, their conclusion is, are the women paid less? Sometimes um, when female players appear to make about the same or more money, they've had to turn in consistently outstanding performances on the world stage. Um, but because of the different collective bargaining agreements, it's very, very difficult. So the men end up getting the advantage. I I don't disagree that it has to be somewhat revenue related but at the same time, I think it makes sense to have when, – when we're talking about the national teams, I think it makes sense to have some sort of standardized system to assure that people are going to be treated equally. And I, I don't think that really exists now, although David's point is correct. It's It's – complicated as to how you figure that out and also i mean i i do point out that these are both the the men and the women these are these are they bargain i mean these are these are bargaining agreements that they have with the u.s you know with with u.s soccer so from the perspective of the women if they think that they're not being treated fairly well i mean one of the other answers is to you know bargain harder bottom line of all this is i i think it was I think it was a great World Cup. The U.S. women's team is controversial because they're really, really good. They know they're really, really good. They're arrogant about it. But, you know, they they, they brought that out on the field. So they're not necessarily liked, but I think that they are respected. You've got a couple of them who have used 
their position um, as athletes to you know voice political things. You've got the the one player Megan Rapinoe who's you know been very very anti-Trump and things like that. But but putting that all aside, I, I think it was a great accomplishment, and I do think. In all honesty, 2019, I think there needs to be one standard for for compensation for the men and the women. And I think that should be the same standard. Now, if you want to tie it in somewhat to earnings, well, that's that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But if you look at it, they're, they're just they're completely different ways that people are compensated. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, 414, well, I'll tell you, we'll take one more call on this. Uh, let's talk to Jason in Watertown. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, it was like I was telling your screener. I mean, the NBA's got shared revenue. The, uh, the Major League Baseball's got shared revenue. NFL's got shared revenue. You know, all the markets are not created equal. Obviously, the men's uh, soccer team and the women's soccer team are not created equal. But they are the national team. Yeah. Combine the two, shared revenue, and you get what you play for. Yeah. And if the, 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 the females outplay the males, well, then there you go. Right. Yeah. See, I guess I right. Th- thanks for and see that's to me the distinction. I, and and don't send me a text. Say, well, Jeff, are you saying that you know people in the WNBA now need to be compensated the same as in the NBA? No. But but that those are private businesses, and that's based on the revenue that that they are generating. And you know, men's men's basketball a lot more popular than women's basketball. That that's just kind of the reality that's out there. That's why. You know, men's athletic programs, you know, the college basketball, men's college basketball, much more popular overall than than women's college basketball. That That's just kind of the reality of it. The national team, though, I, I think is different. But again, even if it doesn't lead to, you know, dollar for dollar, the same compensation, I think they should have the same formula for figuring it out. And and they don't. Then you could compare apples to oranges, and you could decide what's fair and unfair. Regardless, though, again, regardless of the dispute about salaries and and wages and compensation, it was a great run by the U.S. national team, and I think everybody should be proud. Winning the World Cup is a big deal. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Isn't it amazing what difference a couple days make? Last week, nationally, one of the big stories was all these people who had their undies in a bundle over the fact that the president was going to be giving a speech at the Lincoln Memorial. And this was going to and you were going to have like a parade and you were going to have, you know, tanks that were going to be there. Can you imagine that we're going to be, you know, militarizing this? And oh, this is going to be Donald Trump and he's going to be giving the speech and it's going to be terrible and this is going to be what, you know, dictators in the Soviet Union and and in, you know, Nazi Germany did and things like that. Remember all that? All this angst and and they're they're going to be doing flyovers. Oh, this is just going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. Well, okay. I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch, you know, what happened on on Independence Day, but bottom line is it came and it went. And you know what? The sun came up the next day. I mean, I I think President Trump 45-minute speech, um I thought it was a very solid speech. 
you know, he thanked long lists of Americans for their contributions to science and to politics and the arts. You know, he talked about, you know, the, the American history, you know, praising things from space exploration to suffragettes to the civil rights movement. Um, and then spent a lot of time talking about the progression of the iron, of the armed forces. And, and yes, you had the flyovers and yes, you had the military vehicles and all that type of stuff. But for everybody, who thought that this was going to be the end of the world. I mean, my only comment would be, take Donald Trump out of the equation and, and forget forget the for the minute whether you love Donald Trump or whether you hate Donald Trump as the president. I mean, imagine this as being some other president that we, we don't know. This is 20 years from now. This is some president. We have no idea who's going to be the president. And let's take away the politics, and you have them give the, the speech that President Trump gave. And I think almost everybody would say, yeah, that that is perfectly appropriate. It is keeping with the spirit of the 4th of July. No problem. No big deal. I guess that was my reaction to the whole thing. For all the angst and all the, the trees that were killed to have the, you know, the, the newspaper that had all the stories talking about how awful this was going to be, bottom line is I, I thought, you know, if you're into that type of stuff, I thought it was a certainly an appropriate event for Independence Day and for all the people who were predicting, oh, the sky is going to fall. You know, sorry, you're going to have to move on and figure out what the sky is going to fall incident of this week is going to be. You know, what's the horror de jour going to be? Because candidly, that turned out that all that angst about the president's presentation, I thought turned out to be what's the phrase? Oh, yeah. Much ado about nothing. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, my producer, Drew, is now saying, okay, what could be the, you understand it's only July 8th, but you've already said you think it's the stupidest thing that somebody will say in the month of July and maybe all year. What could that possibly be? Because I understand we're setting the bar high. All right, well, let me share this with you, and we're going to get your reaction to it. Uh, the city of Milwaukee has an overriding crime problem, and, and we know part of the problem is reckless driving and stolen cars and people running from the police and things like that. There is a group um, that is called BLOCK, Black Leaders Organizing for Communities, and this this group is part of a national group called Freedom to Thrive, which calls for more prevention than punitive measures to address crime. Um, This group, for example, on Juneteenth Day announced they were participating in something called the Liberate Milwaukee campaign, which called for a $25 million divestment from the Milwaukee Police Department. So in other words, this group they want to defund the cops. We want to, we're giving too much money to the Milwaukee Police Department, which is kind of an interesting theory. But okay, that's that that is their their theory. And the Journal Sentinel has a story today, I believe, about you know th- this group's approach to law enforcement and particularly reckless driving. Now you have a number of people, of course, and I'm I admit I'm I'm one of them who believes that you have to have a law enforcement approach to this. If you have people that are speeding from the police, you have to follow them. If you have people that have stolen cars, you have to catch them and prosecute them for that. If you have people that get drunk and or or better yet are, are 
selling dope out of their cars and then they flee from the police, you got to catch them. And the new police chief agrees with that. And I think the mayor, after having seen what happened in his city for you know five years before we did that, he agrees with that. Well, into this, this is this is according to the Journal Center, and I want to read a portion of this because I do not want to be accused of taking this out of context. Community wants prevention, not punishment. That's what the headline says. It now. It's interesting who the Journal Sentinel thinks is the community, but that's another story. Rick Banks, the political director, whatever that is, of Black Leaders Organizing for Communities, or Block, said the solution to reducing crime is not to throw more money at police, but invest in services that those in the community want. Specifically, Banks hopes more of the budget will go to upgrading neighborhoods with renovations to abandoned houses, more affordable housing, and youth programming. To a, now, this is what I want you to listen to. To address reckless driving, banks said the city should offer more public transportation and change the way roads are designed by adding more speed bumps to make reckless driving more difficult. Now, let me just read that sentence. To address reckless driving, the city should offer more public transportation and change the way roads are designed by adding more speed bumps to make reckless driving more difficult. All right, let, let, let's just take a minute to let that kind of digest there. You, you have a 16-year-old multiple car theft gangbanger who's stolen seven or eight cars. The police try to pull him or her over. He takes off. Speed bumps? Speed bumps are going to be the solution to reckless driving. You have the guy who, you know, blew through the red light and hit and killed the off-duty Milwaukee police officer, the guy who had like four prior drunk driving convictions and shouldn't have been behind the wheel of the car. He's driving 90 miles an hour. He runs through a red light, slams into a police officer. Speed bumps? I, I mean, speed bumps are the way to solve it. More public transportation. Let, let's have a couple more bus lines. That's going to stop people from driving the, their mobile drug houses, for example, selling dope out of their cars and then taking off when the police try to follow them. I mean, look, I, I understand that, you know, we, we want to if, if we can deal with prevention, if you can figure out ways to stop people from stealing cars and running from the police, I, I'm all I'm all in favor of that. Never have, but I'm not smart enough to know what that really is. All I know is that once somebody decides that they want to steal that car and drive in a reckless fashion and flee from the cops for whatever reason, okay, the police have to catch them. And to say, well, if we had more bus lines, you know, we would have less reckless driving, presumably because people wouldn't steal cars and wouldn't feel the need to run from cops. If we put some speed bumps in on Capitol Drive, that would stop people from running from the police. Now, speed bumps, candidly, might not be necessarily that bad an idea in some of the more crime-ridden areas of the, the community. But, but really, speed bumps, more buses, or expanding the trolley line as a way to stop reckless driving and reduce crime? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just, I, I just, sometimes there is such a disconnect between the real world 
and the way some people choose to view the world that it's just almost staggering to me. Yeah, I'm just trying to picture, you know, the the 15 or 16 year old gangbanger who's out there, you know, stealing cars and, you know, driving when the police try to pull him over. He's he's not going to drive away because there's a speed bump. You know, if anything, Putting speed bumps, for example, you know, might even encourage him to drive faster. I four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The idea of taking tens of millions of dollars from the Milwaukee Police Department's budget and investing it in speed bumps around the city, or you know, more bus lines or whatever, I think that's just crazy 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line and i i just people with no clue and no conception of what the real world is like out there in a perfect world you would not need the police all right i I understand that but unfortunately we don't live in a perfect world we have seen the results around here of the last several years of what i would call benign neglect that would be police not chasing because they weren't allowed to chase. That would be courts taking a catch and release, you know, approach. And and what has been the effect of been? Crime has gone up. More importantly, crime in Milwaukee has spread out to the suburbs as criminals from Milwaukee have gotten more and more emboldened and they figure that there's easier targets of opportunity. So they're moving to the suburbs. And to that we say, well, let's put in speed bumps and, and let's add some public transportation. 414-799-1620. That is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Candidly, it's just it's it's mind boggling to me that we even have these types of conversations. And as I can say, the Journal Sentinel story, the headline says community wants prevention, not punishment. Well, my question is. Who in the community does that? You know, okay, so maybe you've got a couple of these activist groups who don't like the cops. You know, maybe, you know, maybe they want it, but give me a break. We're back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back. Don says, hey, add more transportation options and speed bumps. Can you do that by cutting $25,000 off law enforcement's budget? Good grief. No, no, no. You misheard. These groups that are pushing this wants to take $25 million away from the Milwaukee Police Department, which is already grossly understaffed, and spend the money on more transportation options and speed bumps. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Jeff, um, the only thing I can see about the speed bumps are the damage to the cars will be more, and the chase might perhaps be shorter. Here's another text. Jeff. Why don't we just build potholes right into the road and charge the taxpayers? Uh, can you imagine what that would do for vehicles and municipal services? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to put and look, and I guess I, I think and when I think about it, okay, speed bumps in areas where people speed. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the worst idea, but that's not going to stop the people that are engaging in reckless driving. Now, that might stop, you know, somebody that's driving, you know, 30, 40 in a 30-mile zone, and you know that you got the speed bump coming up, that might stop them. Okay, so so I'm from a traffic safety perspective, 
that might not be the dumbest idea. But to say that that's going to stop somebody who's engaged in fleeing from the police or the reckless driving or driving the stolen car and trying to get away, speed bumps, I'm sorry, they're just simply not going to deter that type of behavior. Patrick in Wauwatosa. Patrick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey. Hi, Patrick. Talk to you. What do you think? I think that uh, adding speed bumps would probably be dangerous for the people who would steal cars or engage in reckless driving. But I also think that the problem is that the people who would engage in those activities, that's pretty much all they know. I think that um, a lot of the music that is around in, I'd say, the most problematic areas is the Milwaukee area and the kids in the Milwaukee public schools. And um, I've noticed that a lot of them listen to music and glorify everything about the thug culture. And I think... Well, I guess, yeah. Patrick. I, want, I mean, I, I look. I, I, I don't. I don't want to turn this into too much of a of a sociological type of thing. And I, I don't know if it's the rap culture or whatever. All I know is is, is you got a problem out here, and and maybe I'm just old fashioned and believe that you need a you, you need a a law enforcement response. Look, I, I think, and again, if if there's things, there's all sorts of stuff that you do, and that you can in fact do to encourage law-abiding people to, uh, you know, follow the law. All right, I, I, Esterbrook Park, which is just to the east of where I'm sitting now, you know, every summer, because they have a lot of added traffic, they've got this great beer garden that's there, they put up these two monster speed bumps, if you're going through Esterbrook Park, to the point that, you know, you've really got to slow down. If you try to hit these things at over 20 or 25 miles an hour, you're going to do some serious damage to your vehicle. And, and and so what it does, it's a reminder to people who are driving through the park who might be inclined to go 35 instead of 25 or whatever the speed limit is, that you, you better slow down or else you're going to have this, this impact when, when that ends up happening. And so, I mean, I think it, it provides some added incentive to encourage otherwise law-abiding citizens to follow the law, and, and that's great. I'm not sure how practical it is to take speed bumps, I mean, significant speed bumps, and, and put them on on public streets to the point that you've got to cause people to stop and then kind of crawl over them. But, but okay, maybe, maybe there's a couple areas where it, it does make a little sense to do it. But from the perspective of, of the reckless driving and the people that are fleeing from police and the criminal element, they don't care. Now, again, it, it might make for shorter chases and that somebody's going to wipe out and you hit the speed bump at, you know, 95 miles an hour and you're going to lose control and you're going to slam into a tree. Okay, you know, maybe, maybe you can make the argument that that gets a little bit better, but, but it's, it's not an either or argument to say that, okay, speed bumps are the solution to, you know, criminals stealing cars and, and driving recklessly or more bus lines is the solution to criminals stealing cars and driving recklessly is, is just kind of naive in the extreme. And to suggest that, you know, at this point in time in Milwaukee, for example, you want to take a police force that is already understaffed and by the way, is going to be hit extremely hard over the next year or two. I was talking to several of my friends who are long-serving police officers. I had a chance to run into a couple people at Summerfest, and, and these are folks who are eligible to retire soon. Almost to a person, all of them are going to go. 
because not because it's a frustration with the chief. They actually, in general, I think, like the chief. The frustration is, you know, who wants to be in law enforcement nowadays, given like the story we were talking about in the one o'clock hour of the program, given the fact that you got like guys that make coffee at Starbucks telling you that, you know, we, we need you to leave because somebody's upset because there's a police officer there. I mean, I'm talking to a lot of my cop friends and they're saying, okay, we're eligible to retire. We're going to be eligible to retire in the next year or so. And, and we're going, we're going to do something different because, you know, there's just not that respect for law enforcement out there. It's becoming more and more dangerous. And then you've got some of these so-called self-proclaimed community activists who've decided that, well, we want to defund the police departments. We want to take money away from them, and that's how we're going to make the streets safer. So, you know, not only do you have a shortage of cops now, moving forward, you're going to the problem's going to get worse. It's not going to get better because I don't know where they're going to get the replacements for a lot of the guys that are going to retire. I'm just saying... If you want to put speed bumps in, that's fine. If you want to run midnight basketball tournaments, that's fine. But let's not lose sight of what the real problem is, and that is that there are people out there who do not care about human life. They're out there. They're going to do what they want to do. And until we get them off the street, you know, it's still going to be a dangerous community. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John has on his mind. Melissa's off today. Uh, John McCure with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.